0: Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism. I'm Rachel Williams, your host for this podcast episode in the series that is all for Tasmania's tourism sector. It is, of course, proudly brought to you by the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. And today I'm joined by a bit of a dynamic double act in the world of tourism advocacy, I am, to- of course, talking about Tom Wooten, the CEO of West Northwest, which has just celebrated its first birthday, and Chris Griffin, the CEO of Visit Northern Tasmania, who's be- he's an old folk now. He's been in the in the job for eight years. Welcome to the Thanks. two of you. Thanks.
1: He's, a-, he's a bit That's lying in the tooth, is
0: Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Don't walk out the door. That's not a very good start, <laughs> is it? Tom and Chris, thank you for joining us. We've obviously had such an interesting six-month period where no one's been visiting Northern Tasmania and the Northwest Tasmania unless you're a Tasmanian. How Oh, have you both seen
1: it? Chris, you've been here the longest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, look, it's it's been, um, I know, I was really hoping we wouldn't talk about COVID today because it's just been that thing that's been fascinating, our existence for seven or eight months. Um, so how's it been? It's been quiet. It's been challenging. It's been uh, hugely emotional for a lot of people. Um, and we've seen, look, we've seen different people in our industry do uh, Uh, receive it differently. Their businesses are performed differently. So there's no simple answer as how it's been. But
0: But a lot of locals have visited areas they would never have ever imagined going to. uh,
2: Absolutely. We've got a running running joke in the north. We've never seen so many Hobartians in our life. (laughs) Um, And they've done well. They've discovered places like the Tamar Valley, uh, Georgetown. Uh, Obviously, everybody discovered Derby on a mountain bike. But uh, that type of visitation, that type of
1: sport's been amazing.
0: And what about from the northwest,
1: Tom? Yeah, much the same sort of a story. Um, it's been a, a very challenging year, as you mentioned. I uh, Just had our first birthday, so our first year as an organisation, uh, it's been you know we've been set up to support the industry, and the industry has never needed support perhaps quite like it does at the moment. So, if there was a silver lining to this, is that it is that we have been able to connect really meaningfully uh, with our industry um, in, in a really sort of uh, sharp, acute period of time. Um, so there's been a lot of connection, but yes, as Chris said, a lot of it's been very emotional and uh, we have seen very much a, a bit of a two-speed economy playing out where there are those that are that are noting a better performance than, um, you know, year on year of course, there are those that are in a completely different situation and there are those that aren't open at all. So um, it, it remains, I would say, fairly uh, fairly mixed. But yeah, fantastic to see Tasmanians getting out and around the state. Uh, it's certainly true of the North as it is for the Northwest and for the West that uh, people who maybe went to, to Stanley once on a school trip have decided, let's go and do it again. And they've finally seen the light, had their eyes open to just how much there is out and about to see. So it's exciting. Let's see more of it.
0: And a lot of the world knows how amazing Tasmania is as a destination and the wonderful vast array of products we have um, at our doorstep to use. And obviously the agritourism side of things has become a little bit of a key word of late, hasn't it? What's going on behind the scenes about making sure that industry does continue to grow and provide the facilities that we think it can do?
2: Yeah, look, I think this is um, this is yeah you know, this is a thing of momentum, really, isn't it? Um, and we see it on our side of our imaginary boundary between the north and northwest, um, where we've we've had uh, amazing businesses that have come into into existence over decades. I mean, the entire Tamar Valley wine region is agritourism by a different word. Uh, we're now seeing new uh, possibilities with ferment Tasmania. Launceston City is is puffing its chest out and saying, actually, we can stand for something around the food and. And gastronomy area and uh, are bidding for a UNESCO Creative Cities place. Uh, So for us, it's a movement. It's been with us forever, but it's one of those good ideas that was just waiting for its time and it just feels right um, right now.
0: So what's been the catalyst? As a a woman who grew up with a farming family and married into a farming family, I've always known the value of the work that they do and the product that they produce. Did it just have to have a, a light bulb moment of those farmers realising the capacity that they could actually develop to create other business you know elements within their farm.
1: It may be that it wasn't the farmers that realised it. Uh, and in fact, I think there's probably a lot of farmers out there, agri brands that probably have iconic food brands that you know that they're uh, exporting uh, that don't really play or don't realise they play in the visitor economy at all. I would say if there's been a catalyst for this, uh, it's visitor- led, so the market uh, has always dictates these sorts of movements. Visitors are more and more enthused by the sorts of experiences that allow them to seek and pursue the truth and, and the source and the provenance of, of where their food's coming from. So that, of course, has played out in the, in, in the wine industry. It's, it's been fairly luxury dominated, you might say, in Tassie over the last decade or so. We've, we've had a, quite a number of uh, higher-end products and nature-based products um, and none of these things are necessarily mutually exclusive and they perhaps have a, an agritourism element to them. But uh, at the core of a lot of those is the idea that people are trying to really understand um, where things come from. Um, you know, for, for a long time we, we referred to visitors to Tasmania as the lifelong learners. It's a, it's a style of visitor that are coming here for an authentic learning experience. Uh, not, they're not going for breezes beside the pool. They want <laughs> to come and learn and, and immerse themselves in culture. So agritourism and agriculture is, is a really big part of that.
0: What I'm intrigued by is the critical mass. What is the level of optimum level of number that we need to get to to ensure that every visitor that ends up coming back to the state once the borders are fully reopened that there you know is enough for everyone to do and that the the value can be spread around from a, an economic perspective of all these business owners because I'm assuming it's pretty competitive industry.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's um, one agribusiness is not the same as another, and it's often it's based on. Uh, the farming family's values and what they want to do and what, and what the success of generations want to do. So I think in terms of a critical mass, I think you can have as many as you need, as you, as you want, as, as many as that agricultural community um, is willing to, to develop. And not all will stick on the wall. Some won't make it. Um, that's just business in that regard. I think, yeah, diversity is key in this. It, it, we, and, a, and a lot of the developments we're seeing and the ideas coming up, they're not mass tourism. They're not wanting hundreds of people to go through in groups for a farming family and watch sheep being shorn like they do in New Zealand, right? This is a completely different artisan feel to it. So a small boutique, um, and the more you have, that's your critical mass. And there's no definitive number, I don't think.
1: They're almost not mass tourism at their core, aren't they? Like the whole idea is that it's a kind of a boutique, more connected human experience. Mm. Yeah, and the punter doesn't want that. They
2: want to come and be processed on a tour like that. Some people might, but it's not the people that we're looking for.
0: And what advice then are your organisations and other leaders within the tourism industry giving people who may see their farming neighbour doing something amazing and then they say, oh, well, can't be that hard, I'll do it too? Like, it must be a challenge for someone starting out in the agritourism game, having like seeing that there's a lot of other really well developed businesses who have done the hard yards and are now getting dividends.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've discovered over the Eight years. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you're not going to get over (laughs) that. Regional Tourism Organisation is, um, you know, uh, naturally we network within the tourism industry. We don't network in the agricultural industry, so we're coming across these opportunities accidentally or through the good old Tassie, you know, extended family argument of saying, "Oh, my cousin's got a farm, and they're thinking about doing this. Can you go and talk to them?" So we would be doing this maybe once or twice a month, as ranging out and talking to a random farming family or a person saying, I've got this idea. And I know it's a bit of a a dirty word sometimes in tourism, but some of them are leaning into Airbnb as a way of, say, taking the farming uh, cottage or the the manager's house, putting on the market to see if they actually like tourism or not. And some of these, you know, these families are great hosts and a lot of times on farming properties. Sometimes they just need to get where they want um, strangers on the farm. And if the answer is no, they'll just switch that asset off and you won't
1: see them again.
0: And are there new ideas that people are coming up with that we haven't seen before?
1: Yeah, there are, and in fact, there is there's a group just for a little uh, shameless plug here uh, off the table. Uh, they're working with agri brands, uh, so farmers uh, that that didn't have really any aspiration necessarily to go into tourism, uh, and they are connecting with these uh, agri-brands and helping them develop up these experiences, and their charter 100% is to be thinking really differently uh, about what those experiences might be. So the best example when I'm explaining this I can think of is the Sapphire Oyster Farm Experience, um, because everybody is so familiar with that and what it stands for. Um, That is, in essence, an agri-tourism experience. It's going to an oyster farm. It's standing out in the oyster farm, and it's drinking beautiful bubbles uh, and uh with a white tablecloth you know it's 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 a really aspirational and really creatively executed experience so off the table of pursuing that same sort of thing uh, around these different kinds of farms and that of course that that brings to life um uh, agritourism at a collective and and regional cross regional level
0: and so we're seeing more business partnerships where you've got one element of the, the tourism brain joining with the farmer who's you know focused on the Bureau of Meteorology site to check out what the rain's doing and, you know, check his crop and make sure the cows have been drenched or or whatever. So he doesn't have time for that, does he?
1: Well, I I reckon, and this is a bit of a a brain fart generalisation, I guess, but (laughs) I I imagine it sort of comes from the the next generation of farmers moving through. so So the kids... Uh, that are looking to inherit the farm or play a, play a role in the business. And they're thinking, well, how can I leave my mark here? And it seems like an obvious one, perhaps, uh, tourism sexy go into, you know, diversifying the operation. And so you've perhaps got the younger generation that are, that are plugging away at trying to grow the, grow the business in the tourism sense, uh, while the, the parents are, um, you know what
0: what are some of the lessons that have been learned in some of these younger developmental stage um, agribusinesses? have you been able to tell people some some tips and tricks about what not to do
2: yeah i I, I think that's where our job is you know I, again you've got um people walking into or entering into the tourism industry without the i guess the generations of experience that tom and by, by, and I both have and having worked in the industry so We've got the advantage of shortcutting a lot of the mistakes they could make just by saying, okay, what are you thinking to do? Well, okay, you need to talk about X, Y, Z and you need to organise that differently, whether it be accommodation, whether it be a presentation of an experience on farm. So that's where we add value to this equation is to uh, remove some of those obstacles and obvious mistakes um, to fast track them into industry.
1: I had a really fulfilling example of this just the other day. Um, I grew up in Devonport looking out at Don Heads and uh, there's been a farm uh, owned by uh, the Robinson family up on Don Heads for 125 years, I believe it is, and uh, they've had a good successful farming operation up there for a long time and they've now moved into tourism. They're building this fantastic uh, accommodation offering there, including glamping and these beautiful parts right on the clifftop. It's it's exceptional. And I went along and had a chat to them and – Uh, and it's been discussed this morning, the idea that uh, tourism operators very often undervalue the experience. So having a chat to them about the sort of, you know, price points they were perhaps considering and saying, look, do not underestimate the sort of value that our visitors see. I mean, me as someone, like I say, who grew up looking at Don Heads, to stand there among what they were developing, I'm getting tingly now thinking about it. It was, it's exceptional. It's going to be a really special operation.
0: And it is hard for some people coming into a new business to actually know their worth, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yep, yeah. And and that that is case in point for me. So, you know, that's that's an accommodation operation where you've got all of the farm animals literally wandering around the fields around you. Uh, you've got you know little penguins coming into the beach at the bottom of the cliff. Agritourism in every sense, and that and they're talking about exposing their visitors to uh, the different farm operations as well. Um, but yeah, that to them that's been life. But to a visitor. Whew, you know, that's that is a life changing experience potentially.
0: Yeah. And um part of your roles as well is helping develop the capacity for people to actually get to these destinations, isn't it? And and tell the story about the regions and the state as a whole as a journey. Tell me a bit about how the, the drive journeys are going.
2: Yeah, look, they are ready to launch, literally, and I think we'll we'll see them uh, as Tasmanians first before the mainland will see them. The journey that um, Tom and I work on is called the Northern Forage, which is essentially a, um, a connection between Scottsdale and Stanley is a loose way of describing oh,
0: it. Two beautiful yeah. Pieces of paradise.
2: Yeah, and yeah, uh, you know, it's access through Launceston Airport, Spirit of Tasmania, and Devonport Airport. So it's a really viable way of people coming into or visitor coming into the the north part of the state and then moving across those uh, what are predominantly agricultural communities. Um, so that that's a great way for us to move people inside that journey. Are different communities, as I said, there are going to be different experiences. A lot of them are going to be based around agritourism if they aren't already or nature-based tourism. So our job is to ensure that when you're on your journey, uh, you're finding reasons to stop in that community, spend money overnight, um, engage in that immersive Tasmanian agritourism experience (laughs) before moving on to the next uh, uh, point on your journey.
0: And this is all part of the overarching tourism strategy of getting people out to the regions more as opposed to just flying into Hobart, driving up the highway, visiting Launceston, heading home, isn't it?
1: And that's a it's a problem that's come to light, I would say, even more over the last decade or so. It used to be that the uh, the majority swung towards the uh, touring holiday makers as they used to call them, people that were staying sort of, you know, 10 to 14 days and getting around the state. But you might say with your Isle of the likes of Mona and this kind of emergence of Tasmania as a really cool, almost hipster destination to come and visit. You ended up with with a, more of a weekend market coming in and they would come to Hobart. And of course, we had a high rate of repeat visitation because they'd come in to do Hobart and then they'd realise just how much more was there, so they'd, they'd come back. So that had its own positive effect, but yeah, th- there is a real need for regional dispersal at the moment, and this has been uh, the government's response to that, and th- it's probably worth articulating sort of what these journeys are setting out to do, uh, which is not to necessarily become a different product to, to market now in each region. The product is self-drive touring in Tasmania. These journeys form part of that product, so it's It's really, it's a research tool. It's a way for people that say, we want to go and do a self-drive tour around Tasmania to then be able to get on the Discover Tasmania website and go, right, whereabouts are we going to self-drive? And there's five different uh, journeys that kind of stand for different characteristics and and, and themes and, and of course, as Chris mentioned, the Northern Forage Drive journey uh, is based very much around agriculture and agritourism.
0: And so obviously the, the Great Eastern Drive has, has been one of the, the big ones over the last few years and it's easy to see why. How do you sell Scottsdale to someone who's never been to, <laughs> to Tasmania? Well, been and so- I say that with the most <laughs> humble um, uh, background because that's where my, you know, family farm... It's- yeah, uh,
2: look, one of the one of the amazing things about uh, Scottsdale and the connection of this journey, um, and we all know, you know, we've all driven over the sidling to get from Launceston to Derby to go for a mountain bike ride. I'm, I just presume everybody listening is a mountain biker. Um, <laughs> we do yeah, that in yeah. the north, unfortunately. So if you're the not on a mountain assumption bike, these days, I what, what's about Scottsdale? When you come into that valley, into that Dorset Valley, it's phenomenal in terms of a landscape and you can get, if I said to you, that's the place where you're going to get amazing fresh produce. As soon as you come out of sidling, it's pretty obvious that that's going to be a truth. Um, you're seeing some really interesting artisan uh, developers popping up. Uh, Little I have to. Little Rivers Bewery has to be my favourite. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. and now they've you're just talking. Gone Don't mad. worry about yeah, the mountain yeah, biking. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just talk about beer now <laughs> and skip food. Um, but on the back of that success, on the back of the success of Derby as well, so yes, mountain biking, but it pumps up everybody else's tyres and they have a think about what they can do. Well, if there's going to be all this traffic, maybe then I can, you know, have a crack at that bakery and open that up, or do something on, on a um, on our property. And we've got to remember what you know, agritourism really is. The UNWTO, by the way, has a definition. It's essentially a visitor experience that happens on farm. That's its definition. So, if you're um, offering accommodation, you know, uh, refurbish the sharing sheds into service apartments, agritourism. If your kids are running a farm gate store with an honesty box, agritourism. And that's like. A really good agritourism experience because that stuff really rocks. And in Scottsdale, there's at least two that you'll go past and want to stop and have a look in there and it fossick around and find some Tasmania produce, and then take that to wherever you're staying and do something with it yourself. So, yeah, Scottsdale is awesome. To
0: <laughs> <period>. <laughs> That's a short name, <laughs> <move. laughs> um,
2: but it's yeah, it's it's more and more. And this is where we've got a job to do is where we see the gaps is to encourage filling those gaps of experiences. Uh, The landscapes offering the promise, we just have to follow through.
0: And the same for the northwest. Once you get to that, go to Stanley. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah.
1: Go to Stanley. I mean,
0: obviously, Stanley's had world acclaim in in the the, um the movie that it was um, produced there. Oh yeah, Between Oceans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So people around the world do know of these places. Do you think it's been a matter of us as locals actually? taking a little bit longer to work it out ourselves?
1: Yeah, there's been a bit of that. I mean, there's a, there's it's a layered question, that one. Um, yes, locals are considering the, you know, four and a half hours to get to Stanley from Hobart to be just way too onerous. Uh, it's way too far to go, which from a mainlander's point of view is an absurd thought. Uh, particularly when there's that carrot uh, dangling at the end, when, when visitors are considering coming to Tasmania, understanding what is out there, uh, like I say, back to that kind of research phase, it's got to work together a little better than it has done. It's got to be really easy for people to find information. There's any number of examples these days of where uh, businesses have made small tweaks to their website or their their booking process, and it yields immediate results because the you know the online consumer. Is fickle and they're time poor, and so it's got to be nice and easy to find. So, I'm not convinced that uh, our part of the state has been that easy to find for a lot of visitors. Uh, Once they find it, uh, it'll market itself, and I think Stanley's probably at the forefront of that. Another problem that that we've uh, recently addressed is that our region's been referred to as uh, Cradle Coast for a long time. Cradle Coast is a term that uh, galvanises the nine councils in that region and does a beautiful job of that. Um, But from a completely different point of view, from the visitor point of view, there were some real questions around whether the visitor knows where Cradle Coast is, what it comprises. So we did some market testing in May and, uh, yeah, lo and behold, um, there was very low awareness of of exactly uh, where Cradle Coast was. Uh, and of course, you had uh, Tasmania's west coast that have just developed a fantastic, internationally acclaimed new brand uh, that Cradle Coast was essentially competing with. So we've set West Coast free, as we have with King Island, to be and, and for us to market them as their their own destination. And that leaves us, obviously, to market Northwest Tasmania as its own destination as well. So that's probably been a bit of a missing piece. I think uh, the idea that we can talk about what is. Northwest Tasmania, and we're going through a bit of a process of the moment of, of bringing to light, not, not rebranding, no. but bringing to light what uh, existing uh, sentiment and characteristics, uh, what, what locals and visitors understand the Northwest to stand for. And I think given that uh, some 40% of the state's agricultural output comes from the Northwest, uh, agriculture and agritourism is a, is a pretty obvious one to stand behind.
0: And how do you see that story being told?
1: I think the journeys is probably a really uh, timely part of that. So we're quite excited about the journeys. We're very eager to not sort of over-engineer it. It doesn't need to be that, you know, we're not calling the region the Northern Forage now. It is is a drive journey through our, our regions. And I also love the fact that, you know, Chris and I work for two, different regions, as it were, from an administrative point of view. The visitor doesn't understand two regions. And um, so the, the fact that we've got this drive journey that is a visitor-facing proposition that links the two together, I think is fantastic. Uh, within the drive journey, you've got the Tamer Valley Wine Route and you've got the Cradle to Coast Tasting Trail. So you've kind of got these itinerary-based experiences or, or find-your-own-adventure sort of experiences uh, along that drive journey. So... Uh, I think I think the journey uh, and the drive journey program is going to be a really useful tool.
0: And how now that the borders are reopened, how are we capitalising on getting those tourists that have got some money to spend that would normally be in the south of France or wherever they want to be, actually getting them, you know, between Scottsdale and Stanley, as we as we've mentioned.
2: Yeah, look, I think, um, and we all know this, first and foremost is access. So um, aviation access, the spirits uh, running at full capacity again, that's the number one. Um, Look, I think what we can appreciate and we can appreciate in our own lives is that our motivations around travel have changed. So uh, Australians have put safety and consideration around congestion much higher up on their consideration set on how they choose Um, A destination to travel to. So the advantage for us in the North and Northwest is there's not that many people around. So, and as we're saying, in terms of developing experiences, we don't do mass tourism. Uh, Cradle's probably the only place that you're going to get a lot of volume in one place. So we're actually really appealing and it's just being honest and presenting ourselves for what we are. We are a boutique personalized experience that you will have you'll feel safe and, you know, you're in our hands, we'll be your host and we'll look after you.
0: And I've said it a few times, but I do feel like COVID has really rationalised in a lot of people's minds that intimacy around... You're in Tasmania, everyone really does know everyone and it's a friendly place to be, whereas you don't get that in some other major destinations that you go to.
1: It's like an undercurrent of care, isn't there? It's like you're coming to Tasmania, you're dealing with Tasmanian people and they're going to be, uh, it's almost like a maternal feeling. Um, You're going to be cared for and we're really eager at the moment to be seen by a visitor market as a safe destination to travel. Um, Our brand already implies that um, by being... A destination synonymous with open spaces and these authentic get away from the city centre sort of experiences. Um, but of course, we as an industry, and I'll throw this line in as we're trying to, as often as we can at the moment, absolutely need to lead from the front and make sure that we maintain extremely high levels of COVID safety practice. Uh, and it's not just uh, to keep ourselves safe; it's to make our visitors feel safe because they've come um, from you know states with their own approach to this sort of thing. So if they come to Tasmania and understand that not just a few of us, but all of us are trying to do the right thing, um, it'll bode really well for, for visitation.
0: And just finally, for, for people now, welcoming people back in, what you, you did just mention about, you know, some little tips with websites and making yourself easy to find. Are there any other strategies and or details that other business owners in the tourism industry can access to help them in the next few months and into the next year?
2: Yeah, um, in terms of marketing, there's a whole bunch of different grants available through state uh, state government, through state growth and tourism, TAS. So those things are are taken as as a given and you can access those through the tourism talk, newsletters and things of that nature. But um, I would always say right now it is, this is like a spring cleaning opportunity. Is tidy up, have a real think about your presentation of your business digitally, importantly. Um, Everybody knows that there's a database called the Australian Tourism Database Warehouse. And if you don't, then you shouldn't be in the industry, quite frankly. Um, So, And you should have a listing on ATW as well as an individual business. You should be thinking about how you present yourself visually through imagery, but also in written word. And written word's really important because this content on this database about your business goes to tens, if not a hundred websites. Tourism, Tas- uh, Tourism Tasmania's website, our websites, Tourism Australia's websites. So it's it's really important to think about how you narrate your story and present yourself, uh, knowing that your potential visitors thinking about travel differently. And it's not making a big song and dance about being safe, but just kind of thinking, how would you like to receive a message if you've been locked up for a hundred days in your apartment in Melbourne? what would actually make you feel excited or confident about making a choice to visit your business? And it's that take
1: your head out of your business and put your head and your prospective visitors. See
0: um, it through someone else's eyes. Exactly. 100%. Yeah.
1: And sometimes the best way to do that, obviously, is just to be speaking to other people and to other operators. I mean, mm. so many of our operators are owner operators and uh, you know, they've got their head down the loose side of the forest for the trees. And so for them to understand that these are the sorts of things they need to be doing, it's it's a role of us as regional tourism organisations to be providing forums and, and mechanisms for people to connect so that they understand that they're not just sort of competing with the, um, you know, their neighbour down the road, they're competing with other destinations around Australia. Uh, and when international borders finally do reopen, they're competing with other destinations around the world. So they've got to understand what it means to be truly world class and uh, and be self-critical about that. You know, don't say, oh, I've done this and it's brilliant get some other opinions, speak to as many people as you can. I mean, I think my advice would be just to keep talking to people, keep getting advice uh, and continuous improvement.
0: Well, if if Tom and Chris, if you've done your jobs right, we're all going to be in the car, we're going to be driving, we're going to be foraging, we're going to be eating and drinking, we're all going to need the gym. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun along the journey. So thank you so much for for your time today, Tom Wooten, the CEO of West Northwest and Chris Griffin the CEO, the very young, dapper-looking CEO (laughs) of Visit Northern Tasmania. (laughs) I'm Rachel Williams. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you uh, check out the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania's Talking Tourism podcast series. There's plenty of information for every aspect of operating a tourism business in Tasmania. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.